paloma ya voló. Oh, oh, ay, marinero navegó. everybody. Thank you so much uh, for listening today. We have a super special uh, Out of the Margins. We are talking to dear friend to the Andrews Family Fund and to me, uh, Xiomara Caro Diaz, and she's calling all the way from Puerto Rico. So Xiomara, thank you so much for, for, for hanging out with us today and doing an episode of Out of the Margins. Thank you, Leticia, and to everybody who joins us. Mm-hmm. Um, very exciting to be here. It's an important conversation to be having at this moment. Thank you. I want us to do some hey, girl, hey <laughs> about, about Puerto Rico. It's sort of been in and out of the news since Hurricane Maria. We've done a podcast right after the hurricane with some colleagues of the fund on the island. But, you know, lots has happened since then. It's almost the one-year anniversary. And I'd love for us to sort of dig in a little deeper from your perch, your perspective on what's happening Uh, and what needs to happen. But before then, I know you, and I know how fabulous you are, but I want you to tell us who's Xiomara. What do you do in Puerto Rico? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I like to consider myself a connector. I am a lawyer and communication specialist, and I work with the Center for Popular Democracy Organizing and Capacity Building Department and helped create Uh, this fund very frequently known by the Maria Fund because of the website, mariafund.org. And my role as a connector is to think about how do we create space um, to visualize initiatives that are happening on the ground, to build leadership, to support the people who are doing the work in the front lines and connecting with resources, right? There's an important role of weaving people and institutions and those networks that really are the ones that allow us to survive. And for many people, that's just how we live. I really think of myself as someone who tries to do that for mm-hmm. groups and people mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico doing social justice. Since the creation of the Maria Fund, and even maybe like a year or two before, in a way, I have also done that connecting through being a bridge between key partners and people in the United States who care about Puerto Rico and people in Puerto Rico doing the work and finding ways to meet at that bridge. Tell me what that means for you. So you said part of what you do is try to visibilize the people that are doing the work. One is, what do you mean? And then two, why is it needed? Like, Why do you think we need to bring the flashlight, right? And make people visible in Puerto Rico? Sure. I mean, I think that those listening to us, a reminder that Puerto Rico is a colony of the United mm-hmm. States and that It is politically invisible in spite of the impact that many policies have on the people of Puerto Rico and have had on it for hundreds of years. So I think invisibility is a topic, right, not just of the Puerto Rican population and particularly Puerto Ricans who live either in poverty and directly impacted by policies that are approved and by displacement and racism and, and lack of access. So the topic of visibility for me is important because it is... I think a key piece of sort of doing justice to mm. the type of work that we need to support. So creating visibility, particularly in a place that has historically been invisible at a time where suddenly the flashlight was placed on Puerto Rico, being able to identify those groups that are doing grassroots work 
that are leading the work, that are doing work in community and for community because they are part of the community and they've been there even before the, the spotlight was here is a way of doing justice to the work. And I think it's also part of how we do the work is the work. And tell so me, tell me what that means. How we do the work is the work. It's been interesting in the last year how process is an important result, right? So mm. I think in a time where media and, and social media and mass media and visibility can sometimes come at the expense of mm. process and participation and engagement and discussion and going deep, I think it is in these moments that how you do that work of creating visibility, how you engage in conversations, how you protect space to do that is fundamental. It's difficult. And I also think it has a great impact on the result. Times where, particularly after Maria, where suddenly all of the cameras were in Puerto Rico, it can be very confusing. How do we create visibility for the work on the ground and at the same time do it in a way that builds capacity, builds strength, is respectful? And so when I think about those sort of values in how we're doing the work um, are so important because whatever comes out in the end is a reflection of that. Some people might not see, but we see it. And I think for places like Puerto Rico that has struggled for so long with so many issues, um, people have a great deal of value and respect for the process because mm -hmm. um, sometimes there's a lot of the victories in the process what we might not mm -hmm. achieve always the ultimate goal in our lifetime or in the time period mm -hmm. that we're in an organization. To respect that process is a way to, to ground ourselves in our values and do the work with integrity. You keep saying the work. And so I'm just curious. I think I know what you're talking about, but I just wonder what, what do you mean by doing the work? What is this work of which you speak? It's interesting. <laughs> uh, this is a good question. Um, <laughs> philosophically, I would think there's no separation, right, between living and working, right? Like we're on a path. And when I say the work in the context of this conversation, I'm thinking about the rebuilding and the building. Rebuilding sometimes stays short. Like the building of Puerto Rico that is happening right now in many ways, right? The, the way we're living, is it only the actions and the strategy behind protecting the existing existence of Puerto Rico as a place for an us, and an us includes a lot of people, but there's an ultimate desire of guaranteeing that Puerto Rico is a place of community, and it's mm -hmm. a place of justice and equity. It's a place for the people and that includes like the diasporas of the world and everyone who identifies as having a connection to that place that is not just geographic. And so the work feels like all of those conversations and meetings and, and moving resources and connections and strategizing in our heads and in our hearts about how do we make that happen from whatever role we're playing. And for some reason, I've, in my head, I've put it in a box called the work. <laughs> um, might be a sort of a protection like strategy yeah. of trying to be mm. like we're really walking through this life and we've picked a path and we're figuring out how we can walk it in the most accountable way and the most significant way and make the most impact and there is definitely you know liberation at the end yes
you mentioned a couple of important words that I love us to, to go back to. You said rebuilding and building. There are other words that I'll, I'll weave into this, but there's a lot of conversation around the rebuilding of Puerto Rico, right? Of what does that look like to rebuild? And you then touched on justice and equity. And so I wonder can you paint a picture for us of what does rebuilding Puerto Rico with a vision of justice and equity at the center, what might that look like? Wow. So I think from my role, right, we play different roles in the spaces we're in. And I think some of us share some vision for rebuilding Puerto Rico. And I, when I said earlier about building is because for many of us, we have to talk about Puerto Rico, not just in a post-Maria, but in a pre-Maria, right? Mm. And talk about the reality of Puerto Rico historically and its political relationship to the United States as a colony and the implications that has had for a local governmental structure that ended up in debt and how that debt is connected to an extraction policies and how Puerto Rico has been at the center of many extractive policies, both economic and social. What does that mean, extractive policies? So that goes from testing medic medication in mm. Puerto Rico, using Puerto Rico as a military base that practiced live bombing in Puerto Rico, policies passed by Congress to allow industries such as the pharmaceutical company for decades to use Puerto Rico for its manufacturing with tax loopholes and not having to pay taxes in spite of the impact that it has on the infrastructure locally. That means policies, existing policies like laws 20 and 22 that create a tax haven for millionaires and all of the policies related to that, all of those for me are, and, and for many of us are extractive policies that are not really thought from the people of Puerto Rico as a response to their reality or situation or their needs. But they're thought from other spaces, right? Like from other places that are looking at Puerto Rico for its economic value. They're looking at Puerto Rico as a place where because of its political relation to the United States, there's less accountability for what is done. And all of that created a reality that existed before Maria, of a very fragile social infrastructure of government, a public system that was exploited and used and in debt and could not offer services to its people. Schools that were not did not have the resources or teachers and, and did not have the resources to offer public education, hospitals that have been privatized and closed. And so when Maria hit, it hits an island that has already been through a disaster mm -hmm. and many disasters, mm -hmm. like political, social disasters and patriarchal, right? Like mm -hmm. systems that have stripped away people from resources and hope that things could be different in the place they call community. And that's all so important because when we created the Maria Fund, it was precisely recognizing what we could see was going to happen and could happen to Puerto Rico, seeing other places that were hit by not so natural disasters and recognizing that where we were the day before Maria was a very difficult mm. and painful, thin and fragile place to be in. And so the impact is directly related to mm. the lack of power that people mm. had over their lives and the lack of infrastructure to survive 
a normal day, even less a hurricane. So I love that you brought in the word power. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate here and ask you, as we're thinking about rebuilding, why does this history matter? I know why it matters, but I want to hear it from you. Why does this very complicated history, and I'll use your language of extraction, matter as we think about what the potential future of the island can be in a post-Maria world? It matters because what is at the core, what is at the roots of a lot of this disease tree is colonialism. Mm. And colonialism is a relationship of power. It has to do with a group using power of another. There's an oppressed, there's an oppressor. There is violence and this in different ways in which you execute that violence. But what is at the core is a unequal, oppressive power relationship that is then manifested in structures. It's manifested in the way politics play out. It's manifested in resources. It's manifested in access and what your street looks like. But behind all of that, there's an equal relationship of power and that power dynamic needs to change and investing particularly people's organizations and groups and collectives and initiatives that are challenging that power dynamic. And to do that, power is at the center and changing Mm. your relationship to power. And who do you think has power over your life, your community and your country is fundamental. Precisely, the Maria Fund has invested up to now in 33 initiatives that what they all have in common in addition to having held a role in offering relief, we were really looking at initiatives that from the beginning were talking about building power, thinking about ways to build power, even through relief, thinking of ways to change those underlying power dynamics that have an impact on everything else. Hmm. And that's philosophical, but that also plays out in a very concrete way in organizing. Hmm. There's a difference between offering services and people who are organizing and building power among directly impacted people so that they can change. So we need services for many reasons. We need more and more initiatives that really believe that the people most impacted by all of these realities Mm -hmm. have the power to change them and investing in that. So very quickly, for people that don't know that might be listening, we've talked about it at the margins, and you mentioned it in the beginning, but Puerto Rico is a colony of the United States. It has been a colony of the United States since 1898, right? It was during the Spanish-American War, invaded and became a possession of the U.S. And so I think that's important to say because those of us that are part of the diaspora and that live on the island, sometimes we assume that people know. But I think one of the things that that Hurricane Maria showed was that actually lots of people in the United States don't know that Puerto Ricans are citizens of the United States that are eligible for many of the of the services and resources, if not all, that come down through the federal government when a natural disaster has happened, you know, in any any place in the U.S. And what became very clear to me was that actually people don't know that. Mm-hmm. People, including some of our other sort of, right, fellow Latinx communities, were, were not aware that this was the truth. 
And I've had plenty of conversations with colleagues and, and fellow social justice comrades, right, that like didn't completely understand that Puerto Rico was a colony of the U.S. So I want to just provide that context for those that might be listening that didn't know that so you don't have to go and Google it very quickly. I want to talk about the, the groups that you were supporting through the Hurricane Maria Fund, but before we go there, you said the reality that existed before Maria created a very thin and fragile infrastructure. Yeah, that just makes me want to take a breath because mm. it's painful to say and to hear. So out of this fragile infrastructure, you are supporting groups to build power and before we talk about some of these groups, I'd love to have you explain how that works. How out of this fragile and thin uh, and yet powerful and amazing infrastructure do we build power for Puerto Rico to challenge the status quo? It's like the magic question. <laughs> so I think one is definitely recognizing that people who are in the front line, when I say the front line, I mean they are there in community, either because mm -hmm. they've existed, organization that existed, or an a, initiative that existed, or a leader that existed and is doing work in their community, are the people who are going to know what they need to do to do that. And so I think it's important to sort of lift up and identify who are the people in those communities that have already been thinking about these ways. The other important piece for me has been supporting new efforts to do this work. I think in the context of Puerto Rico, eh, recognizing that fragile infrastructure, recognizing that building power is something that happens every day, particularly mm -hmm. in communities that are directly impacted and excluded from wealth, impacted by racism and capitalism and all these isms, right? Because survival depends on it. In a very concrete way, your grandmother will help you with your kids. You'll stop by work and eat in someone else. Like there is a thread that connects us. There are communities that we support each other. And particularly after a disaster, the silver lining of that very fragile infrastructure is that people have to depend on each other. And so I think the potential is identifying that as a power like just let's let's pause for a minute because that's really powerful what you're saying right like I got some goosebumps <laughs> thinking about when we think about transformation for mm -hmm. communities is the one of the magic I don't know seeds perhaps in this thread of support, right, that people have created that we actually, lots of us funders and social service places don't see as a strength. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd love to, to explore that a little bit because you said, right, in the silver lining is that people have to depend on one another and that, and that infrastructure actually has been built. And so yeah. I'm just curious, like, how that plays itself out in Puerto Rico and the groups that you're supporting? So I think I also think it's important to pause in this conversation mm -hmm. because we said the infrastructure was fragile the day before. And when we say that, we, we're, referring, we're referring right like to public infrastructure and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also the social fiber, right? Like relationships, mm. 
women dying because of aggressions from their partners, right? There is a suicide rate. So it's not like we're excluding that there are also complexities to the human relationships that sustain us or are part of our life um, and part of the life of people in Puerto Rico like in any other place. And what we're saying now is the building of power and strengthening power spaces and power initiatives and being able to, to look at Puerto Rico and work in Puerto Rico with a different pair of glasses. Mm. That when we, we, we approach it from a frame of possibility versus mm. scarcity, Mm-hmm. And also being open to looking and listening without preconceived notions of what that should look like, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a combination of patience, of humility, of understanding that this is a long road. Mm-hmm. We are not saviors. Just because Maria passed does not mean we have the solutions. And it does not mean it's overnight. It's, you know, it's like I'm being vulnerable here. It's been part of the challenge of letting go of that sense of desperation that's in our gut. And I feel like particularly for the diaspora is more difficult watching from a distance and wanting to see very quickly the path. And there's no other way to seeing the path except walking it. And so, mm. and people are walking it and that then requires then we need to like walk with people. Right. And, and trust that people are walking that path and recognizing the power in those paths And recognizing that even there will be times that some of those paths are not ready to become national news. They are in the process of, of building and need to be protected. And, and I think the best metaphor is like, oh, well, we have a hundred seeds. Let's just plant them today. And tomorrow there's going to be a tree there. Sometimes that sense of desperation, you feel it, right? And particularly in Puerto Rico, post Maria and a pre-Maria, But post-Maria, like everyone who knew about the debt and about colonialism is suddenly like, well, we now have hundreds of seeds, right? And resources in different ways. We have plants and we have um, trees and we have like small ones and big ones. And they might take some a year to grow and some 40, some 100. And that is a deep challenge, but also an opportunity of supporting organizing and building power and changing like those power dynamics that are at the root of all these things will require us to both like pull some trees out (laughs) (laughs) planting a seed and we are going to have to water it and that requires consistency and it might require even a grief of knowing this is not going to grow in four years and if I water it expecting it to grow in three days I might even kill it right? Because mm-hmm. it's too much. It doesn't need a gallon of water now. It needs two or three drops for several years. So there's an accompaniment. And for many in, in the Maria Fund, we have supported both organizations that existed a long time before Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. So groups like Taller Salud and Casa Pueblo and the initiative, uh, the or- communities of El Caño Martin Peña that have been doing the work and have been doing it with or without resources. And we put the resources there to support that work that we trust, that we value, that we respect, and that they, they know how to lead. And then we also have made investment in new initiatives because we saw those seeds too, right? We saw the, the trees that needed some water, like we need to protect those trees and allow them to continue to grow. But we also need new things and 
So initiatives like In Las Marias, Centro Apoyo Mutuo Bucarabone, group of a community group with the support of two organizers took over an abandoned school and have turned it into a community center, have mm. occupied that space. And it's beautiful to watch it grow. I would say the Maria Fund has, you know, supported a variety of trees and bushes and is, <laughs> and is, has supported people in planting their seeds. And the aspiration is that we can provide the support um, as long as we're needed to. So, you know, I am reminded of a Buddhist talk that I was listening to recently, a Dharma talk, where the analogy was very similar to the one that you're giving, but it was about the redwoods in, you know, out in the, in the, um, on the West Coast. And I don't know if you've ever been mm. to like Redwood Park and, no, and you know, the, the, there are these amazing, amazing trees that shoot up as far as your eye can go in the sky. You actually have to like completely turn your neck up to see them. And, you know, whenever I'm in California and I'll go for a hike, you see these trees that are like massive. They're just, you know, they're, they're just very different from the trees that you see on the East Coast. <laughs> and but this idea that it's taken the redwoods actually thousands of years to grow. You know, so if they could tell the story of, of, their, of their lifetime, it would be lots of human lifetimes. And so this idea that the seeds that we're planting today, whether it be from Dharma practice or funding things that we know need to outlive us, is not about seeing that come to fruition today necessarily, it's about what are we creating that will hopefully outlive us and really be uh, show that there is another way, right? And so I hear you saying this sort of very similar, this painting, this very similar picture of, of both what is our role as, as a, a group that can potentially help fund this work, but also when do we know to leave something alone? to let it, uh, you know, to let it flower on its own. So how do you know? How does the Hurricane Maria Fund know when to push a little bit, right? Like, all right, y'all, you know, you, you might be ready. And when to like say, hey, we're just going to support this new group. How do you know? I think the first stage was about trust. The day that Hurricane Maria passed, we looked out for each other. Several of us showed up at each other's homes. We, the first question was, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Second question is, what are you going to do? Mm. And then the first group of initiatives were suggested both by myself, the chair of the Maria Fund, and eventually the advisory committee of the Maria Fund. And it was based on trust. We invited people to the advisory committee that were in alignment with our vision of planting seeds, but also supporting the growth of existing trees, and that were thinking about the long term. We brought in people that we trusted their perspective, and then we trusted the groups they recommended. We called those groups. We talked about their needs. We discussed what they were doing. We said, do you want support? They said yes. We moved it, and we trusted 
I would say the process we followed is very different to any experience I've had with traditional philanthropy. It was just mm-hmm. what felt right at the moment. But also I think we walked with caution. And again, I don't know if that was good or bad, but we did. The first stage, it was a challenging path. You know, I was in Puerto Rico holding this role of connector on the ground and trying to move resources and, and support and, and connect and identify doing things every single day nonstop. And we created the Hurricane Maria Fund, didn't think it would become that big. And then as it became big and the responsibility grew, we also decided we're going to support these 33 groups. And then we decided, let's pause for a minute and let's visit all of these groups. So the second phase has been creating space to see where are you? How can we support you listening? And it's somewhat of a a dance. You know, there's there's different cues that you're taking. You're watching and you're trying to recognize your space and role. And we're now moving into a stage of more concrete conversations with groups in terms of we want to support your organizing. We want to support this garden and how can we support you? And so the process has been new for many of us. And I think it also has required a constant process of checking privilege and thinking about Like, what does it look like to be an ally of groups who are doing the work and leading it? What do we do from the Maria Fund and what requires other spaces? I think that's also super interesting because sometimes when we create things that become big and visible, there can be a temptation to turn it into everything. And I think there's all these possibilities for the Maria Fund Advisory Committee and like the support that we're, the groups that we're supporting, we will sort of listen to each other and how do we transition and make choices about when we use a space for what, what other initiatives the groups need to lead. And that I hope that more and more is a dialogue directly with groups initiatives that we support and that we can follow their lead and also recognition of what is the role that we can play. I think Frequently in social justice movements, there can be a sensation that we have to either be everything and or this sort of like idea that everybody should hold a similar role, right? Organizers are very important on the ground. They're sort of centered to a strategy of building power. And we also need music and we need (laughs) people who do communications And we need people who do technology. And so I think similarly, the Maria Fund and our allies, you know, we started as a hurricane relief fund. We see that all these groups in Puerto Rico are building power and doing this work. And we want to continue to support that. Before Hurricane Maria, there wasn't a lot of social justice foundations or funding that type of work from a foundational space or even from individual giving, which 50% of the money of the Maria Fund came from individuals. That wasn't necessarily very clear, that opportunity. So how do we continue to put that at the service of groups and also carve our space? Find like, what is it that we bring right? We bring resources, we bring visibility, we can bring certain things and then hold that space. I think that that's a dance. It's probably more of an art than a science. Yeah. Um, so it's a hard one. I, I think I, you've mentioned the word ally and that's like a part of the progressive vernacular. <laughs> we say it a lot in social justice circles when we're talking about race and when we're talking about, you know, how, how are we allies uh, in progressive philanthropy? So I, I'm just really curious, what does that mean within the context of, of Puerto Rico, but also how, how do you define it in general? Like, what does it mean to you? 
In the context of Puerto Rico, I think it means we make an effort structurally and with resources and time to take our cues from groups on the ground, whoever wants to be in solidarity with that work, right? And on the ground might be on the island. It might also be somewhere else in the United States that's organizing. I think it means that understanding that patience is important, that if we find out about the issue of Puerto Rico now, that's amazing, step in. And also take some time to realize like there's some people who've been doing this for a long time and have had their experiences, their frustrations, their victories, and they have right some idea of things that might be needed from an ally. And for me, an ally is several things. It's one, understanding that you don't see the full picture necessarily as someone who is in that situation. You just don't see it. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you don't care enough. It just means that there is a reality about your life that doesn't allow you to see things that people who are going through it do see it. Mm. Um, I think the second thing means is being thoughtful about when you're speaking up and when you're creating space for other people to speak up. That in my role currently as a Maria Fund has been something I hold closely and think about all the time, right? When do I participate in a podcast? For example, like this is mm-hmm. that I can lift up. And when is, is there an opportunity to talk about an issue that really I should be lifting someone else up to occupy that space and making that decision? That decision is political. It's not about time and it's not, and it's a challenge because People are like, oh, well, you speak great. You know, I, you might feel that I can, I can say things in some way, but really the person to talk about this is this person who's doing the work on the ground. And so it's like a decision. And the third, I think, is understanding, particularly post-Maria, it was very intense to manage the expectations and demands sometimes mm-hmm. of people who want to help. And it's great because solidarity is fundamental to our liberation. We're all clear on that. Many of us are in different struggles and they're interconnected and we need each other. And Puerto Rico's liberation will not happen without solidarity. It's a fact of history, of life, of the universe, of our interconnectedness. And practicing that solidarity in a way that empowers people who are going to be there even when you're, you're not there. It should be a book. <laughs> I think like, hey girl, you need to write that. <laughs> I might have to do an article about like, what does it look like to be an ally? And we've had these conversations. I've had this conversation with Melissa Rosario mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico about what does it look like to be an ally in a moment of disaster or crisis in a way that is supportive of people on the ground. And I experienced it. It was like people who came with very little agenda, right? Mm-hmm. And were like, I'm here. What do you need me to do, right? That was like God sent. Like, thank you. Okay, can you take care of this? Because right now I can't manage it. The opposite was, I'm here. I want to do this. I want to do it at this time. Can you set it up for me? Mm. And, it reminds me that latter that latter uh, example, it reminds me of um, the industry, actually, that we have in the U.S. of volunteerism. It, it doesn't come without an agenda. If it's like a famous person or a politician, like with photo ops, but from even from traditional philanthropy, right? When we talk about, when we think about the dog and pony show of, or of poverty pimping, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like what is the agenda that's actually behind the request or the, the desire to be an ally? And I think this idea of, you know, being very clear about what our agenda is, is, is really important. So we're running short on time, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a question about the diaspora. What do you think could be an exciting role or, you know, Take, take the question and, and sort of make of it what you will, but the role of the, of the diaspora being that so many Puerto Ricans live on, in the United States um, outside of Puerto Rico, what do you think is the role of the diaspora? I think the, the diasporas, because yes. I feel like there are several. Yes, um, that's right, that's right. Are a part of the Puerto Rican nation. A friend recently did a workshop, Jasmine Hernandez, to say mm-hmm. we did a workshop at Allied Media Conference that brought together Boricuas from all over. We did an exercise visualizing that we're really all in, in the middle, right? We're all in the water. We all have a story of a grandmother who left and came back. We all have a story of someone who left and never came back. We all have of migration, of leaving and coming back. That's part of our story as Puerto Ricans and we all have different generations and it's all, all of us are part of one community. And so I think there is a responsibility and a space to demand specific things around Puerto Rico to lift up our voices in the diasporas around education and the privatization that's happening, energy around the fiscal control board, around rebuilding Puerto Rico, around protecting our land around displacement, all all these issues. I feel like the diaspora has a key role in talking about it, finding space for it, and lifting those conversations up. And I think the other potential, huge, I think about that beautiful network that was built after Hurricane Maria. If we were to draw lines and connect all of the people who set something up in their home to collect relief, Mm-hmm. Everyone who made a call mm-hmm. and got someone else to send a package to another cousin. You know, that's the infrastructure we need. Using the infrastructure we created at a moment of crisis for a moment of more long-term visioning and action. Mm-hmm. And if we find ways to support those networks, to resource them, not just with money, but with attention and care, those interconnections and networks are the ones that can allow us to win the things we're going to need to win to make sure Puerto Rico is still ours. I think I'd I'd love to end there. That's such a beautiful image, Yomara. Imagine this tapestry, because I have my eyes closed as we're talking. I am imagining this beautiful tapestry of the networks, right, that were created, that were built, that were solidified post-Hurricane Maria, and that that is the thing that we need to win the things we need to win. So that's a very beautiful, beautiful image. So if people want to find you and they want to find the Hurricane Maria Fund, whether it's to find out about the groups or they want to donate money, that's one thing that we'd love to see come out of this conversation. But also just if they want to find out who are these 33 groups that you've been funding, where can they go? Sure. They can go to mariafund.org. And that they'll see the list of initiatives that we've been supporting. That's where our contact information is also. Info at mariafund.org is the best way to contact us. They could contact me also 
email is Xiomara X Carodias at populardemocracy.org. If they forget that one, just go to the MariaFund.org website, write to us through there, and we receive I receive those emails as well. Everybody, that's MariaFund.org. Um, so I'm going to close by thanking you, Xiomara. Thank you so much uh, for this conversation. Um, I think it's important, and we will look forward to seeing you in October when I'm on the island for Education and News Shifting Justice. But I want to end with a quote. I, I'm a big fan of quotes, and today I'm, it's actually just one line from Julia de Bulgos. The poem is titled, Yo misma fui mi ruta, I myself was my own way. And sister, I Mm. think you are carving out a way, a path, a journey for the future of this island that we all love so much. So thank you. Thank you a million times for joining us today. We've been in conversation with Xiomara Caro Diaz from the Hurricane Maria Fund in Puerto Rico. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was beautiful. 